Today on the Matt Wall Show, Donald Trump is on a righteous crusade against critical race theory. Now, uh, I think now is, is a time also to expand that mission into the schools where critical race theory is the most dangerous. So we'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including the, the media's misinformation campaign about what overturning Roe v. Wade would actually mean. And in our daily cancellation, I'm afraid that I have to cancel Amy Coney Barrett, and I'll explain why. A lot of, a lot of dirt has been dug up about this woman. And we're going to have to talk about that today. All of that on the way. But first, you know, you know, seeing the check engine light turn on uh, can give you anxiety. I, I just recently had that happen to me. We were going on a, a long car ride. And right before we, we went on the, the car ride, the light comes on. And it's this moment where you go, oh, man, you know, now what? But now that I have CarShield, I don't worry about that stuff anymore. CarShield offers a wide variety of uh, protection plans that can give you thousands, uh, save you thousands for a covered repair, which means that the check engine light is a lot less scary when it comes on because you know you're covered. You have the freedom to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield gets the rest taken care of. Even if your car breaks down while you're traveling, uh, the choice of a repair shop is still up to you. On top of that, there's no long-term contract. There's no commitment. Payments are flexible. CarShield plans are, are customizable to your exact needs. Um, you know, I personally, I used, to, I used to dread car repairs. I used to dread uh, the, the light coming on. But with CarShield, I have peace of mind, uh, and it's hard to put a price on that. Get coverage today and see why CarShield cars go further. Call 800-665-2157 and mention Code Walsh or visit carshield.com and use Code Walsh to save 10%. That's carshield.com, Code Walsh. A deductible may apply. Also, one other note, make sure you, um, after the show, as I've been telling you, if you're watching on YouTube and you need to go subscribe to my personal YouTube channel, that's youtube.com slash Matt Walsh. All of my shows will soon be available exclusively on my personal channel. You can still listen, of course, on iTunes or many other places, but if you want to watch on YouTube, you've got to go to my personal channel, youtube.com slash Matt Walsh. All right. President Trump in recent weeks has been on a crusade against critical race theory. I believe this is possibly the most important thing he's done with his presidency, even if he hadn't taken any active steps against it, to simply shine light on it, to make people aware of it, and to, as the leftists would say, problematize it, I guess is the phrase. That is an enormous public service. But Trump has gone further than that. He's, um, and, and here's the latest. He tweeted this last night. He said, a few weeks ago, I banned efforts to indoctrinate government employees with divisive and harmful sex and race-based ideologies. Today, I've expanded that ban to people and companies that do business with our country, the United States military, government contractors, and grantees. Americans should be taught to take pride in our great country. And if you don't, there's nothing in it for you. Um, so that's a very good thing. Critical race theory is a scourge. It is a, an ideological cancer. It has infected our societal bloodstream. And the effects have been devastating. The racial strife in our country today, riots, much of the violence. This can all be traced, at least in part, back to critical race theory. Now, I think before we go any, any, any beyond that, though, we, we, I think we probably first have to answer a basic question, which is, what is critical race theory? And for that, so that you know I'm not giving you a biased or cherry-picked definition, I will go to a liberal source. I'll go to the Boston Globe article that was just written, which is meant to be a defense of critical race theory, um, henceforth, henceforth referred to as CRT, by the way, just for short. And also dismantlingracism.org, which is an online resource that's supposed to help you, well, dismantle racism. Though, as we'll see, probably constructing racism or Spreading racism would be a better name for that website. Uh, first, here's the Boston Globe article. It says, scholars say the president's remarks about CRT prove he fundamentally misunderstands critical race theory and its aims. 
I am a thousand percent sure that Trump does not know what critical race theory is. I have never been more sure of anything in my life, said Kiara Bridges, professor at the University of California, Berkeley Law School, uh, and author of the textbook, Critical Race Theory, A Primer. Uh, she goes on, and he certainly doesn't understand the debates within and about critical race theory. Scholarship on critical race theory emerged in the 1970s and 80s in response to what legal scholars perceived to be the failures of traditional efforts, approaches to thinking about race and civil rights, which tended to conceptualize racism very narrowly, according to Bridges, as a problem of individual bad actors. The movement's architects, including the late Derek Bell, the first tenured black professor at Harvard Law School, and uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, a professor at the UCLA School of Law and Columbia Law School, who first coined the term critical race theory, um, says racism is not extraordinary. She continued, race and racism are basically baked into everything we do in our society. It's embedded in our institutions. It's embedded in our minds, in our hearts. Then it goes on, despite the progress and promises of the civil rights movement, critical race theorists argue that racism infects all of our societal institutions, from public education to the criminal justice system. What appears to be progress in the law is actually concealing a new modality of structural societal ra uh, systemic racism. That, according to Rajesh Sampath, an associate professor of philosophy of justice, rights, and social change at Brandeis University. Namely, our laws and uh, constitutions don't protect everyone equally, he said. Okay. So that's the Boston Globe. Racism is embedded in everything we do. America is racist down to its very core. American, well, white Americans are racist in their hearts, in their minds. Everything is racist. Racism is everywhere. And even when, even when it looks like racism is being addressed by laws and policies, really those laws, like constitutional provisions guaranteeing equal rights, for example, they are just creating, quote, new modalities for racism. So then we go over to dismantlingracism.org, which says, um, here's what it says, racism is ordinary. The normal way that society does business, the common everyday experience of most people of color in this country. Racism serves the interests of both white people in power, the elites materially, and working class white people physically. And therefore, neither group has much incentive to fight it. Later on, it says, white supremacy is ever present in our institutional and cultural assumptions that assign values, morality, goodness, and humanity to the white group while casting people of communities of colors uh, and communities of color as worthless. Um, immoral, bad and inhuman, and undeserving. And then it defines racism as racism equals race prejudice and social and institutional power. Racism equals a white supremacy system. All right, so what does all this mean? It means that everything is racist again. Racism is everywhere. America is a white supremacist country. But also importantly, racism is a uniquely white phenomenon. Only white people can be racist. Racism equals a white supremacy system. Now, there are a few problems here, of course. Uh, first of all, you know, this, this obviously is nonsensical. It doesn't even take into account the existence of the whole rest of the world. Even if I agreed that in this country, black people can't be racist because whites uh, against whites because whites have all the power, which I most emphatically do not agree with that. But even if I did, what about, say, China or India? There's a lot of racism in India, racism between and towards non-white people, racism directed from one non-white group to another non-white group. What about, um, for example, a, a person in India who hates black Africans 
And that is not an unheard of phenomenon, I can tell you, to put it mildly. By this definition of racism, that's not racist. This definition of racism has no way to account for that. So you see here this weird dynamic where critical race theorists, while hating white people, also in a strange way, put white people on a pedestal, or at least at the center stage of the world play. Um, when talking about things like racism or slavery, for that matter, they pretend that nobody else exists and that everything revolves around white people. And so somehow white people are responsible for things that have existed in human civilization literally since its inception. Feminists do a very similar thing with men, by the way, hating men, um, but yet, yet also centering their whole lives and worldviews around men. So this is a common theme on the left. But okay, um, going along with the uh, CRT camp and pretending for a moment that India doesn't exist and China doesn't exist, two countries that are rife with racism, but pretending they don't exist. What about here? Is it true that in this country only whites can be racist because whites have all the institutional power? No. That's a false conclusion built on a false premise. And it's so faulty and so stupid that even if the false premise was true, the conclusion still would be false because it doesn't follow from it. It's not true that whites have all the institutional power. That is observationally false. You can look around for yourself and see that not all institutions are run by white people, nor are all institutions dedicated to the advancement of white people. There are a lot more white people in positions of power than black, yes, in terms of raw numbers, but that's because there are a lot more white people, period. Black people are 13% of the population. A minority of the population is also going to be a minority of most institutions at all levels. That's just a mathematical inevitability. But even so, whites don't have all the institutional power. We did have a black president, after all. And though the left scoffs at that response to the America is racist charge, scoffing is not an argument. It is an absence of an argument. You can laugh and roll your eyes all you want. The fact is that you cannot say black people don't have institutional power when the most powerful man in the country for the eight of the last 12 years was a black man. That claim makes no sense. It is incoherent. What about laws? Are laws constructed to advance white people? No. In fact, the opposite. There are no laws, no laws, period, at all, that explicitly favor white people. No laws in this country at all. There are laws that explicitly disfavor white people, affirmative action, and related policies. Okay, You cannot provide an example of an affirmative action type thing that explicitly favors whites because it doesn't exist. It does exist on the reverse. So all of that is wrong. But the fact that, that, that facts don't support critical race theory and actually contradict it every step of the way is irrelevant, of course. CRT is a religious system. It is a dogma. When you read a supposedly scholarly explanation of CRT, what you're really reading is a catechism. The idea that racism lies at the root of all things, invisible and undetected, and that racism itself is some sort of strange and mysterious way, in some sort of strange and mysterious way, is a white invention or, or a tool wielded by Western white civilization, even though, even though racism existed in humanity before Western white civilization even existed itself, and certainly before it had power like, like it does today. These ideas cannot be factually proven or supported, and that's by design. They are statements of faith, not fact. And those who teach CRT, or rather proselytize it, are not looking to convince you on an intellectual level. They're looking for your spiritual and emotional assent. And if they can't have that, then your cowed submission will have to do. And that is why Trump, you know, I think should expand his war against this poisonous religious ideology beyond federal contractors and into schools where it really starts. And where it's the most dangerous. It should be banned from public schools. 
It should be banned on the basis that it infringes on the First Amendment. If teachers cannot get up in front of the class and insist that their students accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they shouldn't be able to get up and insist that you know, their, their students accept critical race theory dogmas either. These are both religious doctrines. The fact that, in my view, one is true and one is not is irrelevant. I don't want public schools demanding fealty to religious dogmas, even Christian dogmas. So I think it should be banned from public schools, ban it from public universities, impose financial penalties on any public education institution that promotes it. Personally, I think teachers who use their power and influence to brainwash children into this horrid superstition deserve to go to jail. But fines and defunding would suffice for now, I guess. If people want to you know, go out on their own and explore critical race theory and pledge their devotion to its tenets, they're free to do that. But our public institutions should not be in the business of promoting it. Which, by the way, the fact that our public institutions do promote critical race theory is, ironically, proof in itself that critical race theory is false. But I don't expect its proponents to connect those dots because one thing we've learned about critical race theory is that it certainly doesn't involve any critical thinking. Let's get to our five headlines. Listen, people get hacked on the internet all the time. It happens. It happens quite a lot, as I'm sure you heard. And uh, one of the worst things about that happening to you is that you're going you're gonna to feel dumb if it does happen because you didn't take very basic precautions that you could have taken. Identity theft has become a big-time crime with criminal gangs operating units dedicated just to this. Certain behavior can make you more vulnerable to identity theft. Um, not checking your credit card or your bank statements, okay? Like a lot of people don't look at it. And, and, and that's going to leave you vulnerable. Using the same username and password on every account, um, never checking your credit report, oversharing personal information. I think we've all been guilty of at least some of this. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet, and you could miss certain identity threats if you're just monitoring your credit. Uh, or if you're not doing anything at all, then you're certainly going to miss a lot. Good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number being for sale on the dark web, many other things as well. Um, and if they detect your information is uh, is at risk, then they're going to send you an alert. Um, and and that's that's going to be one of the one of the most important things. Of course, again, there are basic things we can do to take precautions, but you need to get LifeLock. Um, it makes it really easy for you. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can find out. If your information is for sale on the dark web, get your free dark web scan at lifelock.com slash Walsh. Pick the plan that's right for you. Save 25% off uh, your first year with promo code Walsh. That's a free scan at lifelock.com slash Walsh and 25% off with promo code Walsh. All right, let's begin with this because uh, we're going to see and hear a lot of this in the coming weeks. Here is Allison Camerata on CNN talking about what, what she thinks will happen if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Listen. I think one of the interesting discussions about abortion is that the country is generally divided. I mean, almost split right in half about how they view it. However, in the latest Gallup polls, 20% of the country, oh, I should say only 20% of the country wants to outlaw it. Okay, so you can feel differently about the different nuances of it, but only 20% wants to outlaw it. And that's ultimately, you know, obviously what would happen if Roe versus Wade were done away with. And so it's just interesting. I mean, obviously, we're, we're segueing into a political stance here. But 
if the country does, you know, would support the direction that this is going in? Well, this is why uh, when uh, Republican presidents nominate justices to the court, they, they try to pretend that it's some mystery what their views are about Roe versus Wade because they know the country is against them on this issue. Yeah, so Alyssa Camerata is either stupid or lying. Uh, or she could be both. I don't mean to limit her. Okay, I don't want to limit the possibilities here. But no, overturning Roe would not mean that abortion is outlawed. Okay? In fact, if Roe is overturned the next day, abortion is still going to be legal everywhere. The laws are not directly affected at all by overturning Roe v. Wade. No, what, what it would do is it would make it possible for individual states to pass laws that would then restrict or possibly ban the practice. It, it enables them to do it. It doesn't mean that it happens. Um, and some will do that. Some, some states will pass laws like that. Some won't. Does Camerata think that California and New York are going to ban abortion because Roe is gone? No. If anything, they're going to pass laws that just uh, encourage it even more in retribution. Um, only the very strongly and overwhelmingly conservative states will ban the practice. I think what's going to happen, what's, what's going to, you know, you're going to, have some, you're going to have a few states that ban it outright, a few states that, like I said, go even further in the other direction. I think what's going to happen in the majority of states is that you're going to find more restrictions. And that's in line with what most Americans feel and what their, what their opinion is of the practice. Now, of course, when it comes to something like this, it doesn't matter how most Americans feel about it. This is this is a basic human right that's being infringed upon. You've got 60 million dead babies since Roe v. Wade. Um, I don't care if every single American in the country loves it. Uh, it, 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 still, it still should be banned. And if we could ban it across the country, I would be in favor of doing that. But that's just not the reality. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, y y you would need something like a constitutional amendment uh, protecting the personhood rights of, of unborn children, which I would favor. But we're not anywhere close to that happening. Roe v. Wade simply allows states to make choices. And that's, if, if Americans can be made to understand this, then I think the majority would be in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade. But keep this in mind. I don't know what the polls say, uh, but you're going to see a lot of polls. How do polls, how do, how do Americans feel about overturning Roe v. Wade? Whenever you read those polls, keep in mind that a large number of the people taking the poll don't actually know what overturning Roe v. Wade means. And a lot of them are going to think that it means exactly what Alison Camerata says, because that's what the media is telling them. Okay, number two, uh, take a look at this. This happened at a car dealership in the Bronx. So that's a gang fight that broke out at the car dealership. But uh, in, if, you're, if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, it's a, at a car dealership, bullets start flying. And at the bottom of the screen, there's a, a dad sitting in a, on a couch, I guess in the waiting room with, with looks like three or four kids. Um, and as soon as the, the bullets start flying, he, he, he lays on top of the kids, shielding them from the bullets. Actually, he took a bullet in the thigh. I believe he's going to be okay. His kids are okay. Uh, if he hadn't been laying on top of them, who knows where that bullet will have, would have gone. But you see, I think with this footage, you see sort of the, the heights and depths of masculinity, um, the contrast. R really, it's real masculinity versus fake masculinity. Uh, and, you, and you see both of those things um, illustrated in that video. And, you know, certainly in our culture, we could use 
we could use a lot more of of the kind of masculinity that you saw, which is the real, which is real authentic masculinity, the kind that you saw happening there, playing out at the bottom of the screen. That's what we could use a lot more of in this country. Number three, the media today is very disturbed, very disturbed, very troubled, very, very troubled. Uh, so deeply troubled because Trump made a joke at his rally last night about a reporter being thrown to the side by cops. Let's listen to that. They grabbed him. They were grabbing him left and right. Sometimes they grab, they grab one guy. I'm a reporter. I'm a reporter. Get out of here. They threw him aside like he was a little bag of popcorn. But no, but it, I mean, honestly, when you watch the crap that we've all had to take so long, when you see that, it's actually, a, you don't want to do that. But when you see it, it's actually a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful sight. And they had the same thing on some other streets, and the whole thing was gone. And I haven't heard of any real problem in Minneapolis since that happened. I mean, they were just burning down the city, and that idiot was standing there. This is a friendly protest, and it's really... and behind him was like ten blocks of fire. Was I never? Now I have to agree that is that is extremely troubling. I think um, I am also disturbed by that. I mean, Trump says. They threw him aside like a bag of popcorn. That is no way to treat a bag of popcorn. The fact that Trump thinks the, the fact that Trump thinks of popcorn as a thing that you throw to the side. What kind of analogy is that? Throw to the side like a bag of pop. Who throws their bag of popcorn to the side? So if I give you a bag of popcorn, you're just going to toss it to the side. That's not. I mean, is that what he does at a movie theater? They hand him his large popcorn. And just he just chucks it over like that. Um, I, I think this statement from Trump reveals a really problematic attitude about popcorn. And that is a, a national conversation that I think we need to have. Number four, New York Post has this story. I think this has already been announced, but uh, here it is again. It says, actor Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in 2004's The Passion of the Christ, said uh, writer-director Mel Gibson has written a forthcoming sequel. Mel Gibson just sent me the third picture, the third draft. It's coming. He told Breitbart it's called The Passion of the Christ Resurrection. It's going to be the biggest film in world history. While Caviezel 51 may talk a big game, the first film was no slouch, made on the, rel- made on the relatively modest budget of $30 million. It took, a, took in $622 million worldwide. Um, let's see. And then it says, so what, what the new film, the actor said, would depict uh, Jesus' biblical resurrection and the events that followed. Now, um, yes, first of all, biggest film in the world, that's, I think that, that may, that could very well be the case. This, this movie is going to make a gazillion dollars. Passion of the Christ made $622 million, um, and keep in mind that that's not even adjusted for inflation, but also keep in mind that was a, a, a movie that was rated R, uh, you know, not, not, a, not really a kid-friendly, not, not a movie you're going to bring like your eight-year-old to, right? Um, because it's, it's pretty gruesome. Now, it is actually what happened to Christ, so I think it's a great film. Uh, but not for very young kids. If we're, ta- if, we're, if we're doing Passion of the Christ, Resurrection, then probably it's going to be a little bit more family-friendly. It's not going to be quite as gruesome, I would think. This is a Mel Gibson film, so you never know. Um, and so if, there's, if it's not rated R, so you're taking a, a, bib, a Bible movie, not rated R, made by a, a, a mainstream and great film director in Mel Gibson, I think that's a, you know, that's a billion-dollar movie at least, for sure. Um, my only question, though, is how much... So what I've read in the past is that this movie is going to be... It's going to tell the story of Jesus, his resurrection up to the ascension. And that's going to be the whole movie. Now, if we were going into the book of Acts, and we, we were, and Mel Gibson is showing us what's going on with Peter and Paul, 
that would be obviously a great film, and I would love to watch that movie. I'm just wondering if there's enough biblical material between resurrection and ascension to make a movie, because the Gospels cover that in like four sentences. So this, if that's if that's the time frame we're covering, then Mel Gibson's going to have to freelance quite a bit and add in a lot. Um, so that could get a little dicey, but uh, I think it's I think it's great. And this is it, you know it just it kind of shows you how much Hollywood hates Christians that they're not making Bible movies like five Bible movies a year because these movies make a ton of money. There's a huge audience for them. Even when they're not good, Mel Gibson makes a great one. Some of the Bible movies we get aren't even good. They still make a ton of money. There's a huge hungry audience for this material. And yet, for the most part, unless Mel Gibson comes along, mainstream Hollywood is not making these movies. Uh, With a few exceptions. Okay, five. Finally, rioting in Portland continued last night, as always. Um, But then the Antifa rioters took a break from the rioting for a little musical interlude. Actually, they started moshing. At least that's what this is supposedly is a video of. But you tell me. Let's 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 take a look. I do not know this cultural tradition at all. Okay, that is not a mosh pit. First of all, that's that's more like a tickle fight, a tickle pit, if you will. Tickle pits, by the way, would be a great name for maybe an indie band. But that video really just underscores the important point that I always like to highlight, which is that Antifa are domestic terrorists, yes, but they're also enormous dorks. And let's never lose sight of that. Never forget that. These are the saddest flabbiest, scrawniest, most awkward, weakest, most pathetic little punks you'll ever encounter in your life. But then when a bunch of them have crowbars and, and bricks and stuff, yes, they're dangerous. Of course, you could, give a, you could give a whole bunch of 12-year-old cheerleaders crowbars and bricks and they would be dangerous too. So you could give that to toddlers and they'd be dangerous also. That, that's not really telling you anything about, about the, the toughness of the individual people. Individually, they're, they're exactly what you saw right there. Uh, but a whole big group of them, yeah, um, they are terrorists and, and they are dangerous. Okay, we're going to get to our daily cancellation in just a second. But before we do, you know, uh, I think a lot of, uh, right now it's it's a challenging time for business owners when they're looking to hire. Um, and this is something that, 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 that all business owners are thinking about now. You're looking to hire. Where do you go? How do you go through that? Uh, Monica Starks could relate. She needed to hire for a pivotal role at her construction company, GS Group, but was having a tough time finding the right person, especially with so many candidates out there. So she switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's technology, identifies people with the right experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So they're going to go out and find these candidates. It's not like you're just you're, you're posting a, jo- a job ad into the ether and it's sitting there. No, ZipRecruiter is going to go. They're going to find them which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. That's how Monica found Lamont Jenkins. Uh, She said that ZipRecruiter sent Lamont's profile to her around five minutes after she posted her job because he was a great match for the role. And that is, that's something that you hear from people who use ZipRecruiter all the time, is that it doesn't, it doesn't take very long. It's like minutes for a lot of job roles and already you have qualified, not just any applicants, you have qualified applicants 
who are um, willing and able to take the job. So you can see for yourself how ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. Try it now for free. That's right, free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh, W-A-L-S-H, ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. Let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we're going to cancel Amy Coney Barrett. Um, we are canceling her based on the horrible dirt that Democrats have been able to dig up about her. I just can't in good conscience support her after, after I've seen this. Now, it's of course widely anticipated that Trump will select Barrett to take the Supreme Court seat that Republicans callously intend to fill, even though Democrats have specifically said that they would prefer to do it. Um, it's also widely anticipated that, Dem that the Dems will dig up many dark secrets about the judge just in time for the confirmation hearings. It's hard to know what those secrets will be, mainly because Chuck Schumer hasn't invented them yet. Perhaps it will be discovered that she's an assassin for the mob or that she poaches the tusks of endangered elephants or that she's a serial killer and neo-Nazi and reptilian shapeshifter who frequently double parks and never tips the pizza delivery guy. After Brett Kavanaugh was, uh, was exposed as the ringleader of a roving band of teenage gang rapists, really anything is possible. So the full truth about Barrett will come out soon enough. Um, in the meantime, Democrats and their oppo research team at the Washington Post have already unearthed, I think, a significant amount of dirt. And this is but a foretaste of what is to come. It's already enough to send shivers down the spine. As the media has only just begun to demonstrate, Amy Coney Barrett is a dangerous woman. So let's go through. There are four things. Here are, here are four scandalous facts that have already been uncovered about Amy Coney Barrett. Number one, she's a Catholic. Not just Catholic, but an extreme, controversial, worst of all, conservative Catholic. She's the one to whom uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein a few years ago famously charged, the dogma lives loudly within you. Let's watch that again. I think in, in your case, uh, Professor, when you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for for years in this country. Now, on top of that, a disturbing expose in the Washington Post showed that Barrett considers her legal career and indeed her whole life to be, quote, but a means to an end, and that the end is, quote, building the kingdom of God. Now, one might protest that this is a standard view for any devoutly religious person. Well, yes, and that is precisely the problem. Devout religious conviction is deeply troubling. Unless, as with Joe Biden, it's the sort of devout religious conviction that wouldn't be out of place at a Planned Parenthood fundraiser. Number two, she is part of a charismatic Christian group that literally inspired The Handmaid's Tale. As Newsweek brought to light this week, uh, Barrett belongs to a group called People of Praise. Now, this is an organization so backward, so patriarchal, that it actually served as the basis for Margaret Atwood's dystopian novel about a future where women are subjugated and enslaved by men. This is stunning. As a side note, it's also not at all true. Um, Newsweek later ran a correction admitting that, in fact, there was absolutely no connection between People of Praise and The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, so it was entirely false, but that's irrelevant. The fact is that Barrett's group could have inspired the book. So even if it didn't, it still did in a certain way when you think about it. Number three, she believes in due process for men. Yeah. 
proving that the connection with The Handmaid's Tale is very real, even if it isn't at all. Another reporter from the Washington Post reveals that Barrett wrote, quote, an influential decision making it easier for students accused of sexual assault to challenge universities' handling of their cases. Now, this flies directly in the face of the sacred legal principle that a woman never lies and should always be believed, unless she accuses a Democrat, in which case she's probably a Russian spy. Number four, she is anti-abortion. Now, as yet another Washington Post article described it, her anti-abortion position is perhaps the most problematic aspect of an already alarming record. But I prefer the eloquent directness of Wandy Ortiz's Refinery29 article, uh, which says that Amy Coney Barrett, quote, hates your uterus. Now, you might argue that Barrett's opposition to abortion stems from her scientifically provable, provable position that unborn humans are human and therefore dismembering them in the womb is no more justifiable than dismembering them anywhere else. But I think Ortiz's article gets closer to the heart of the matter. Clearly, Barrett hates your internal organs and wants to enslave women because she's been brainwashed by a radical religious cult that didn't inspire The Handmaid's Tale, but totally could have. These are just some of the ominous red flags. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Barrett has like a lot of kids, which is pretty weird, let's be honest. Uh, one can only imagine what other skeletons may be stowed away in the closet. Indeed, let's hope that Democrats are imagining some really scary ones as we speak. But that's all icing on the cake. We already know enough to know that this is a dangerous radical, and she should be disqualified from consideration. And certainly, we know enough to cancel her. Uh, but other than all that, I'm sure she's a fine person. Now, we're going to, I guess that, that's it for the show, but I, I did want to mention one other thing before we wrap up. Um, as we're talking about, you know, different ways that you can watch the show and experience it. As part of our Daily Wire audience, there are a number of ways to take in the podcast. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, you can Spotify, another podcast app. Of course, we've been talking about YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash Matt Walsh. Go to my private, uh, my personal page. You can go to Facebook, dailywire.com. Bottom line, we're making our content available in a lot of different places. Daily Wire members can now also enjoy our shows on Apple TV and Roku, so members can enjoy all the visual elements of this podcast and other shows on our big screen, either live or on demand. Find The Daily Wire on Apple TV or Roku and download today. You have to be an insider member to watch live, so head on over to dailywire.com slash Walsh. Use code WATCH at checkout to get 15% off your membership purchase. Uh, this deal is not going to last for long. So you want to go there. Again, it's dailywire.com slash Walsh. Get 15% off with code WATCH and download the Daily Wire app uh, on uh, Apple TV and Roku today. All right. That's it for us today. Have a great day, everybody. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm.